in Second uh, Samuel chapter 10. It tells us a story that the Ammonite king died and his son Hanan succeeded him. And David wanted to show him kindness because of the relationship that he had with his father. And so he sent a delegation to um, express their sympathy to this new young king. And so the delegation goes there, and while they're there, uh, the Ammonite nobles decide, hey, they're not here for that reason. They're here because they want to spy out the land. We can't trust them. So they go to Hanan and they say, you can't trust these guys. They're only here to spy on us so they can amass their army and have, a, have an attack on our, our city. So Hanan goes along with their assessment, and he takes David's delegation, and he shaves their beards, and he cuts their clothing, their garments, and you think, well, what's the big deal? Well, it was a very, very big deal. Um, if, if you go back and look at the history of what that meant, it was a humiliation. They were, they were, these men were completely humiliated. David didn't take too kindly to his men being completely humiliated when he was doing something kind and just wanted to express their sympathy, so David was angry. At that point, whether Hanan had this planned out, but you know, his nobles, whatever else, doesn't matter. At that point, when he realized that David was angry, Hanan had a choice. Hanan could have said to himself, you know what, this is not the road I want to go down. I'm going to apologize to David and his delegation and try to keep the peace. I'm going to, I'm going to be humble. I'm going to say I'm sorry. I'm going to apologize to them and try to keep the peace and not go to war. Or he could do what he did, which was amass his army, get some others around him and, and try to go to war with David. How it ended up, God was with David, and David and his army annihilated the Ammonites and Hanan. You know, when we, uh, when we fail to admit that we're wrong in our relationships, it has devastating consequences. consequences. When we fail to admit we're wrong, it has a profound impact on our personal lives and every relationship around us. We're starting a new series this morning called The Path to Stronger Relationships. And I truly believe it will have an impact on each of our lives as we, as we take this to heart and try to apply it to our lives. This could have an impact on every relationship around us. I, I want to invite you back this coming Wednesday. Uh, Deb and I will be teaching uh, this coming Wednesday at 6 o'clock. We have impact groups that meet here already. There's child care. There's pizza provided. And so we'll be able to get a little more in depth in what we're talking about this morning and add, obviously, some things to that. More of a one-on-one -on -one connecting time, small group connecting time. If you're not a part of a life group, this would be a great opportunity to, to come and, and fellowship with others around you. We're starting another life group for preteen and teen parents that will start this Wednesday night. And if you're not in that group, just come because we have other opportunities where you can just connect with other people and connect with the people, maybe your spouse or, or the people the people that you bring with, okay? So this coming Wednesday night, 6 o'clock, make sure you join us here. Now, I want to share a story uh, as, as we continue in this conversation. I am not finished yet. God is still working on us. The, one of the biggest mistakes anyone can make is to think that they have arrived, 
that they've got it together, they've arrived. God does not expect us, my friends, to have it all together in any area of our lives. The Bible actually says and makes it absolutely clear that we're not going to have it all down, that we're not going to have it all together in this lifetime. When we die and we we face Jesus Christ in heaven, we're going to get a glorified body. Everything's going to be perfect then. But in this lifetime, we're not going to be all that we can be. And if you act like you are, if you act like you have it all together, that you're a finished product, it's only going to lead to failure. And I use the words act like. Because no one here, if I asked you, do you think you're perfect? Do you think that you're always consistent? No one in this room, unless they've lost their mind, is going to raise their hand and say, yep, I'm there, I have arrived. But we act like it sometimes. When it comes to the people around us, we act like we have it all together. We act like we're perfect. We act like we don't do anything wrong. It's because we are not able to say those words, I'm sorry, I apologize, I was wrong. I wronged you. That was a mistake. This pride that we have in our hearts holds many people back from being able to do that. If anyone could have claimed to be a product of what Christianity was all about, it was the Apostle Paul. Yet when it comes to spiritual maturity, this is what Paul says about himself. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on, Philippians 3.12. I press on. Paul did not view himself as someone who has arrived. He had arrived. He didn't view himself that way, and he didn't want anyone else to view him that way either. Even the people were under his authority. But then a few verses later, Paul says, follow my example. Follow my example. And you think, wow, you know, one moment he's saying, I I haven't arrived at all. And then he says, follow my example. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. He says, join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. See, I can be an example to other people. As long as I am pointing them to Jesus Christ, and as long as I'm willing to admit when I fail in that attempt... When a person will not admit that they're wrong, that they have failed, it affects every single relationship in their lives. And Deb is here to explain how. In our family, we talk about disciplining from the inside out. And we call it discipline and attitude instead of action. So in other words, um, when somebody, when our kids are having some little issues or something, we're talking about the, the heart attitude that's going on behind it rather than just behavior modification, because truthfully, all the sin starts in our heart, not in our behavior. So if you're in proximity to us, to me or to Kim and Jen and their spouses, Drew and Aaron, you will hear them saying things like, change your attitude, which sounds funny sometimes to people who haven't thought through this this way, to say that to a one or a two-year-old, or get control, because we're training them to get self-control. So a couple months ago, I was babysitting um, half of my grandkids. So I had Liam, who's two. And I had my little twins, grandbabies, Kaylee and Levi. And I was holding Kaylee, who, by the way, if you ever wondered what Kimmy was like when she was a baby, Kaylee is a perfect example. She's just a little darker. Kim was a little more blonde. (laughs) But she's a carbon copy of her mother. And I was holding her, and she's just all into whatever she is doing. And I hear from the back, from behind me, from the couch, you need to change your attitude. And I turn around. 
because he's heard this a few times in his life. And I see Liam, who is, the only thing I was nervous about was getting this mic out, because I've done that before where I can't get it out and drop it, and getting up the stairs with my heels. So this is really nuts that I'm doing this, but this is Liam on the edge of the sofa. And I said, who are you talking to, Liam? He goes, you. <laughs> on the edge of the couch, like he's surfing. And I thought he was talking to Josh in the other room. And I went, oh, okay. And as a good Grammy who has talked with her daughter and son-in-law about how would you like me to help reinforce what you're doing, I looked at him and said, I'm sorry, Liam. You're going to need to apologize because Mommy and Daddy don't want you talking that way. That's not respectful, and you need to say you're sorry. He calls me Bobby. I'm not entirely sure why, but he's so stinking cute when he does it. So <laughs> so I said, you need to say you're sorry to Bobby, and you need to sit down. And so he sat down. Nothing. A couple minutes later, he walks over, and I'm holding Kaylee, and he puts his little hand on my arm, and he goes, I'm sorry, Bobby, with those killer blue eyes, which you just want to kiss his whole face. And why is it when he does something, it's really kind of cutish, even though it's bad, but it wasn't quite as cute when Kim and Jen did it. (laughs) Something about that generation that, you know, like, oh, look, he's talking back. (laughs) Kind of funny. So Liam, with all his mighty strong will, which I love in little children, I I, I, honestly, I do love it. I think it's an awesome trait, um, says to me, he puts his hand on, I'm sorry, Bobby. But you do need to change your attitude. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's not going to work either, sweetheart. I'm sorry, Liam. That's not talking respectfully, and you need to honor, you know, you need to be respectful and love your family, so you need to say that you're sorry. Sorry, Bobby. But you do need to change your attitude. (laughs) Looking out at me at the side of his eyes. Whispering it. Like, I am in control here, Grammy, just in case you're unaware. I'm two. I'm in control. I'm sorry, Liam. That's not respectful. Mommy and Daddy don't want you to talk that way. And you need to say you're sorry to Bobby. Quite sorry, Bobby. And it's hilarious because isn't that the truth? We do not want to admit we're wrong, even when we're two. This is why there are very few auditory, strong-willed, and verbal children at two, because you don't want to know what they're thinking. <laughs> But we are wired. We just show up that way. I don't want to admit I'm wrong. When you have little children, when you're in the relationship with your kids, the reason it is so very important and vital that you admit that you are wrong to your toddlers, to your preschoolers, your elementary school kids, you need to explain to them what it means to be in need of a Savior. You can't live out all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all need a Savior. Well, except for me because I'm a parent now. I don't need Jesus. I'm right now. I mean, that's unrealistic. You've got to model that to them. And the best way to do that is admit when you're wrong. Show them what it's like to admit that they're wrong. When you have teenagers, you have to model what this looks like. It, it is so crucial to, to teach them conflict resolution skills. This is an absolutely lost art in our society. I don't know if we're too busy. I don't know if we don't value relationships the same. I don't know what it is about our culture. But conflict resolution is a lost art. And no one who is married is happy when you haven't resolved conflict. That is something we all share. No one in a relationship with their peers, brothers or sisters, parents, in a working relationship is happy when there's tension and an unresolved conflict. And yet we don't always put the time in doing that. So be sure to model that for your teenagers. If you want an easier time raising your teenagers, invite 
feedback. People thought we were crazy when we would allow Kim and Jen to tell us what we were doing that frustrated them. And we've had honest, respectful conversations when they were young teens, and they would say, when you say it that way, you make me want to do the wrong thing. Okay. I don't think that I communicate perfectly all the time. And my goal is that they are God-honoring, Jesus-loving women when they leave my house. If I'm getting in the way of being more like Christ, I want to get out of the way. And if I've done my job raising girls at 13 or 14 or 15, they should be able to articulate, this isn't working for me this way. And then I need to change the way that I'm communicating, the way that I'm looking, my expression, my tone of voice, my body language, whatever it is that stops them from being more like Christ. My parent card doesn't mean I do it right all the time. So invite their feedback respectfully, but invite their feedback, and I promise you, you will, you're, you will deepen your relationship and have a much, much more enjoyable teen years. At work, how many people have watched somebody fail at a project or completely fail at a business because they won't admit they're wrong? Mm-hmm. They won't get advice. It's amazing. We need to be learners in everything. We watch Restaurant Impossible every once in a while, and we're looking at these people like $700,000 debt. Is that the right number? Yep. And they're losing ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 a month, losing it. And they invite this dude to come in and save their restaurant with the TV crew. And they sit there, and they're know-it-alls. Ple- really, really pleasant people, aren't they? Know-it-alls. Will not take any advice. And you're thinking, you invited this person to help you rescue your failing business. They're one month away. But you don't want to listen and take the advice. It's amazing. One minute you know it all. The next minute you lose it all. Um, in your friendships. The hard part about not admitting you're wrong in friendships is that it keeps your friendships at a surface level. When it happens to us, we excuse the behavior in the beginning. We make excuses for it. That's just the way they are. They're going through a hard time, whatever. But then we withdraw because it gets frustrating being in a relationship with someone who won't admit they're wrong. When we do it, which is a much harder thing for us to look at, when we do it, we push others away, little bits at a time. And then we complain that we don't have deep friendships and community but we don't want to admit that we're wrong. In our marriages, I'm just curious, have any of you in your lifetime ever been on a journey, perhaps in a vehicle of some sort, and you're not quite sure where you are, and maybe the person who's navigating doesn't really want to stop for directions? Women do that all the time. That's a woman. Hey, hey, this is not your turn. (laughs) Am I speaking to anybody? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, this is my theory. I think that when the man gets out of the car and has to go into the gas station and ask for directions, the dude behind the, car, the counter goes, give me your man card. And he takes out this teeny tiny little punch. And, and see, they don't want to pull over because they already got it punched in October. So it's been like, I, mean, I can't get that filled up. I can't. It's not okay. I thought it was hilarious that um, I had so many comments about GPS in between services, and I'm like, notice it's a woman's voice giving you directions. (laughs) Just saying. I mean, is that pure irony or what? (laughs) We were in Mexico for this conference, and we're in the van, Josh and I, who's trying so hard not to throw up with his little thing that he's got going, so we're in the front seat. That's more like it. (laughs) Some of those roads and the driving. But we're in the front seat trying not to... This is breakfast. And I'm laughing because we have these world changers in the couple of rows behind us, these incredible movers and shakers in missions that are speaking at this incredibly awesome conference, which, oh, my gosh, I don't know when we can tell you about, but 
get on Facebook and just start friending people because find out whatever you can. It was such a victory for God. It was very cool. Anyway, listening to these conversations about their, these husbands, I'm the only woman in the car along with Beth, talking about their wives respectfully and their fun little personalities and things, but about getting to, time, to church on time. Now, I'm just curious how many people are like thinking through. It's like the guy couldn't decide which belt, so that's why they weren't to church on time. Not so much. Most of the time, it might be us who are delaying our husbands and getting somewhere on time. So they were talking about one of the guys actually got in the car and left. He didn't quite tell his wife the first time. Not sure I would recommend doing that. <laughs> but the other guys were laughing, said, I don't think I have the guts to get in the car. <laughs> But it was funny, and I thought, how many of the women are like me, where you have 30 minutes of stuff you try to get done in about eight minutes? Anybody else? Right? <laughs> amen. I don't get any amens. Listen. <laughs> okay, right, right? And for me, the absolute worst time is 20 minutes, because you can't sit and do nothing. Well, Georgia girls cannot sit and do nothing for 20 minutes. It's just you, you just your DNA won't let you just stand still for 20 minutes. It's just like a waste. But really, what can you accomplish in 20 minutes? You can only attempt to do the errand you needed to do that makes you late to the next thing that you need to go to. So it's so stressful. Yep. <laughs> we laugh about the examples, but the truth is, in our relationships, in, in, our, in our marriage relationships, when we don't admit we're wrong, it slowly erodes our trust. But it quickly breaks our communication. Quickly. Because it's so frustrating when we hold our ground on dumb things. And most of them are dumb. I've been married for almost 29 years, and the truth is, most of the things that people fight about are just dumb. Jeff talked about his brother. My brother-in-law is country boy. Okay? They grew up, we grew up suburbs in New York City. We're talking hills of Virginia. So when we go down there, greetings take a little extra long because our names have two syllables when you're down there. It's J-F and Dayeb and Kiyum with the jaw. Can you see my jaw? And J-N and Jawash. And, you know, I'm like, okay, I've been in the car for eight hours. Hi! And they're like, hi, how y'all doing? They're like, bring the car. What are we doing? And they're like, we're going to go for a walk. Cool. Let's go. So funny. Culture, total culture difference. But a couple years back, he said he's been married for a long time, and he came up with this thing, and he said, you know, it's really just easier to go. I'm an idiot. It took a little longer for him to say, but I'm an idiot. Just raise your hand and admit it. And so many times we make it so much harder than that. We want to hold our ground or we didn't like the way we got a response back in the middle of the conversation. We never do that. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. We communicate. This is a high level communicators. You communicate far too much when you're talking about great things and not so great things. You're like, we just need to talk less. But the truth is you just need to not overcomplicate it. So I want everybody to try something on the count of three. You're going to raise your hand. Ready? One, two, three. Look, it's so easy to get your arm you don't even up, have to right? say it, though. You just, it's, yeah. I mean, just your arm. And if you really struggle with this, I'm not kidding. Just try it. Little one. Or if you're really mad and you don't want eye contact, you just give them a little hand raise and walk the other way until you calm down. It's not as hard as it has to be. So I want to encourage you, raise your hand. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Here, here's the reality is that no one here is perfect and we're all pretty inconsistent. That's why it's so important that we need to admit when we make mistakes, that to admit when we're wrong. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, uh, I want you to say this, uh, please be patient with me.
God's not finished with me yet. There it is. I think we all too often, my friends, throw the baby out with the bathwater in relationships because, you know, we are imperfect. We are inconsistent. We are all that way. But we need to admit it. We need to admit it. I mean, the strongest relationships that I have in my life are people that I get into conflict with pretty often sometimes, but we're able to talk it through, apologize to each other, work on that, and just raise our hands. I'm an idiot sometimes. I'm not perfect. I'm inconsistent. It's okay to say that. It's okay to be open and honest and to say that. Some people, a lot of men, and I'm, you know, I know women too, but I'll pick on the men for a second. A lot of men won't admit that because somehow they think if they admit they're wrong, they're going to lose something. They're going to lose the respect or they're going to lose the authority with the people around them. That's just not true. That's not true. When you open up and you say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Will you please forgive me? You don't lose other people's respect. You gain it. And for parents, I just want to encourage you to make sure if you do something wrong, admit it confess it, open up and just say, hey, that was wrong. That when I, when I lost my temper and I, and I was cursing the other day, I want to say to you, I know that was wrong. I asked God to forgive me and I want you to forgive me as well because that was wrong. In Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, it says, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces it finds mercy. Now, I'm going to tell you a secret. This is going to really blow your mind and this is going to be one of those things you remember forever, okay? It's a secret. Here it comes, all right? Just don't ever say I didn't help you with something. The people, your children, and all your friends and the people around you already know you're not perfect. (laughs) Now, some of you are like, you're just blown. My bubble is burst. What are you talking about? Now, see, if you talk to my mom, that's a a little different. My mom kind of thinks I'm like Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way. And my wife loves it. She thinks my, you know, she thinks that's great. My mom, one time I was telling her, hey, mom, you know, uh, we're talking about something. I said, yeah, I'm having some trouble. This is about, this is years ago. I said, I'm having some trouble with some stuff in church. And what do you mean? Well, some people didn't like what I did. People in the church didn't, don't like you? I said, well, some people in church, she said, no. She, she was like that Seinfeld, you know, Jeffrey, who couldn't like you? Who couldn't like you, Jeffrey? And she wanted to know the names, specific names. What? <laughs> well, just give me their names. <laughs> My mom will straighten it out, you know what I mean? Because who couldn't like me? Hey, none of us are perfect, okay? Even if our, some of our moms want to think that we are. No way, we're perfect. We're inconsistent. And everyone around us knows it. Our children know it early on. Our friends catch up on it really quick. Our relatives know it. It's not a secret, so why hold your ground on these things? Why not, why not admit it to yourself? Admit it, admitting it doesn't make, doesn't, you don't lose anything by admitting that you're wrong. You don't become weaker. You become stronger in your relationships when you're honest and open and say, I was wrong in this area. As a matter of fact, your teens, your preteens, 10, 11, 12 year olds kind of thing, going on 13, they're all over it. And they actually like little hawks. They watch everything. They're like little, they're like little spies everywhere. And they'll let you know it. They'll let you know it. You'll be driving down the road and they'll be saying to you, Mom, you know, you, you break the law. You broke, you're a lawbreaker. And you're like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Well, you went a couple things first. Number one, you went 40 and a 35. And you just roll right to that stop sign out of the way. Of, and you're like, you know, they're watching. And they'll say, Dad, you know, 
You said, you said like five, six months ago that when you're eating ice cream, no person should have really more than three scoops at a time, and you just had five. So on a point, you had five scoops. Let's count them. One, two, three, four, five. They, they watch. They, they pick on that inconsistency. They want to catch you being inconsistent and then tell you about it. And then they start growing out of that. But here's what they don't grow out of, nor do your employees, okay? The people who you are, are under you, wherever you are in your business, they are watching you still like a hawk, and more is caught than taught. More is caught than taught. Before Kim and Jeff, Jen left for college, both of them sat down and talked to me and said, I want, I want, to, tell, I want to tell this to, to you and I want to tell it to mom. I love all the talking you did. They used to love how we talked to them all the time. You think we talk a lot here. <laughs> Wait at home. Uh, one, time, one time they're like, oh, just punish us in some other way, but stop talking. Get the belt out, but stop talking. So, um, <laughs> but they said, you know, it wasn't, it, what you said was important, but how you lived was more important. How you lived your life. Your employees that are under you More is caught than taught. They're watching you. They're watching if you're consistent. And when you're not consistent and if you're wrong, are you apologizing? Are you saying, I'm sorry for what I did? It's so important in relationships that people will admit when they're wrong. I told you a story earlier. I'm going to tell you another one. I'm in Virginia, and this is only like five or six years ago, and I'm I'm with my dad, and we're having a conversation, and walking along and and he said you know can i talk to you i said of course you know can i but i want to talk to you not as a father and son i want to talk to you person to pastor and i thought that was i never said that before i said absolutely he said i'm having some troubles with uh with some relationship troubles with a friend and i i want to know from you from you what the bible says about how i should handle this situation so we talked and then he went on as we kept on talking the conversation moved from pastor to person to father and son and he started sharing some things, and we got into, both of us got into some things in the past, not really, not really just about each other, um, just in general things of when he was growing up, when I was growing up, we were talking, and I said to him, I, we stopped, and I looked him right in the eyes. I, I just, we were really close, we were about this far away, and I said, Dad, I am so sorry that you had to deal with some of those things in the past. I really am. It hurts. You know, I'm, I'm sorry that you had to go through that kind of pain and some of the things you're having to deal with now. And he, and he put his hand on my shoulder. And he looked right back in my eyes and he said, he said, me, how about you? How about all the things that you had to go through as a child? And he said, I want to tell you, I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm sorry for some of the things that you guys had to endure, and I'm sorry for the, you know, any part that I played. And, and, he t- and he said that to me. And I'm telling you, it supernaturally changed our relationship. I was always close to my dad, especially in, in my adult life. Always loved my dad, always close to my dad. But then, at that point, it changed our relationship supernaturally because my father looked me right in the face, and he said, no, how about you? And he said, I'm sorry. Now, I'm, I'm at that point 45 years old. I'm over, I've overcome those, those kinds of things. I don't, they don't weigh in my heart. I don't carry them around. But it did something to our relationship to be able to look each other in the eye and, say, and for me to say, I'm sorry that those things happened in your life and him look back and say that to me. It was, a, it was a change in our relationship in a very, very profound, profound way. I, I think it's important that we all understand. I know sometimes that pride will get in the way 
and that no one wants to admit when they're wrong. I mean, how many of us, honestly, in our marriage relationship will argue a point, even an hour ago we realized we were wrong, right? But we hold our ground. And st- how many of you still argue when you knew you were wrong? Anybody will admit it? Come on, now look at me. No, no. I can't, what are you talking about? I have no... Uh, admit, no. I mean, how many times... You don't have to raise your hand, but how many times have you kept an argument going in a relationship of any kind when you knew you were wrong, even five or ten or fifteen minutes before? Because we have stubborn pride sometimes. My son is eight. I don't want to mention his name because every time I do, I owe him ten dollars. Okay? <laughs> we watch Shark Tank way too much. He's always negotiating with me. This actually started back with Kim and Jen. They told him. So every time I say it, I'll say Josh. I owe, now I owe him $10. Um, so I owe $10, Josh $10, Josh, I owe Josh $10. Now we, we negotiated for the poster. That poster that you see in your bulletin is the two of us walking at Irons Fruit Farm and he was one. We're just walking down the road. Deb took that picture. I absolutely love it. And I thought to myself, what better way to, as a, for a poster for this series than that one? And so we negotiate for three bucks for the poster. Now, I'm not even telling about the bulletins because I don't know what he'll do. Then he'll be like, 10 cents per bulletin for showing my picture. Um, but we, you know, there are some times, believe it or not, that Josh and I will be in a, in a, in a conversation or whatever, or he'll do something wrong and, and that I will say something. And I will say something that's not right. I'll lose my temper and I'll say something to him and I'll have to go back and I want to do this. And I'll go back to Josh and we'll sit down face to face and I will have him sit across from me and I'll say, Josh, I want to apologize to you. I'm sorry for how I said that. I tell you all the time, you need to learn to control your temper. You need to learn to, you know, don't let your emotions dictate your actions. And that's what I teach him. But dad didn't do that, did he? No, he didn't. Well, I I apologize. I want to apologize. And I want to ask you to forgive me. I teach him two things when I do that. Number one, I teach him that it's okay when you do something wrong to look someone in the face and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. The second thing you teach them is how to show grace, okay, and forgiveness to someone when they admit they're wrong. It's powerful. When you say to someone, will you forgive me, it's very powerful. Those words are very powerful. Will you forgive me? But we have to be able to admit that. We have, here's what I've found as I've been going through this series and studying and everything. Um, people who won't admit they're wrong many times don't know who they are. The reason they won't admit they're wrong is they don't know who they are. And somehow they think they're going to lose their identity or lose something or they'll lose because they don't know who they are. If you know who you are, it's okay to say, I was wrong today. You're the same person that you were the day before and you're the same person you're going to be tomorrow. You know who you are. It's okay. It's okay to admit you're wrong. When you know who you are, it doesn't, there's no fear in admitting you're wrong. It's not going to change the dynamic of any relationship around you except to make it better. It'll make it stronger. It'll make it, it'll, it'll make it more effective. It'll, it'll, it'll be more intimate. A little, little side note here too. If, if as a parent or as just as a person, if, if you don't admit you're wrong, you're going to pass those same traits, those same attitudes, those things onto your children. If you never admit you're wrong, if you never show weakness, if you never do that kind of thing, you're passing that same behavior on to those around you. <laughs> if the people around you sense that you will never admit you're wrong, I mean, just think about this when it comes to relationships. If the people around you 
sense that you will never admit that you were wrong. They will spend a lot of their times, a lot of their time trying to find you making mistakes and pointing it out. That's the relationship. The relationship becomes very unhealthy because one person is inflexible and the other person is wasting or spending their time trying to catch you doing something wrong so they can point it out to you. That's the relationship. So when you hold your ground, you are, you are, you are destroying a relationship in so many ways, so, from so many perspectives. The inflexibility causes others to want to just, you know, it's like, it, it's so difficult to have a healthy, strong, meaningful relationship when someone is arrogant and inflexible and stubborn and will never admit they're wrong. You can, you can, you can have a very healthy relationship and be extremely imperfect. You can have a relationship, a strong relationship, and be inconsistent as long as when you are, you're going back and you're apologizing for those things. That's what matters. I don't have to be perfect to be a good friend, to be a good father, to be a good husband. All I need to make sure is that I'm humble and that I'm honest. Perfection and consistency all the time is not going to happen. Honesty and humility can. And whenever I make that mistake, I'm honest and I'm humble and I admit it. And I don't justify my, I don't justify my sin. I don't justify why those kinds of things. I'm just humble and I'm honest. And you need to keep something else in mind. Like, like I said, as, as parents, we need to understand this. You know, sometimes we say, I don't ever want to be like my parents. But how many of us have been in a situation and we've done something and we said to ourselves, my gosh, that's exactly what my mom or dad did. I can't believe that I, that I said that. My mom and dad used to say that, and I said I would never say that. It's the same thing with how we treat our children when it comes to asking their forgiveness or being honest and being open about our weaknesses. Now, while all the eyes are on the parents and all the eyes are on the adults, I want to say this to the preteens or the children here or the students here. You are not exempt from this discussion. I hope that you're not sitting there going, I'm so glad he's straightening my parents out. You know what I mean? Uh, This is such a good thing. You are not exempt from this discussion. You have to admit when you're wrong. You have to apologize when you do something wrong, not just to your parents. I mean, sometimes you guys walk around like with a get-out-of-jail-free card when it comes to having to apologize or admit that you're wrong. And you have to be forced to admit it. You're at home and you kind of do your thing and it's just like an attitude. Everybody else around you is a total, you know, raise your hand, you're an idiot. You know what I mean? But you never come back and look at yourself and say, well, look at my attitude. The rolling of my eyes, the disrespectful comment, cursing at my parents, telling how much I hate them. I hate you. Slam the door. You ever say you hate you to your parents? I hate you to your parents. You need to go back and you need to look them right in the face and say, I want to apologize. I can't even imagine how much that hurt you. And I'm sorry for saying it. I lost my temper and I'm sorry for saying it. You need to apologize. Your teachers, when you get all whatever, they say something, you get all worked up and you tell them this and you have an attitude and you, you're disrespectful, you need to go back to them after you've gone before the Lord and ask forgiveness and say, you know, to your teacher, hey, forgive me, I, I, I lost it yesterday, I had an attitude, I do that sometimes, and ask their forgiveness. Number one, you're going to be the teacher's pet for the rest of your high school career um, because that never, ever happens. What else, what else it'll do is it'll help you become the person that God created you to be because you will not have healthy relationships if you will not admit when you are wrong. And when someone admits they're wrong, you need to forgive them. Now, really very quickly, um, 
I say forgive them. Ephesians 2, 4, 2 says this. I'll just read these fast and I'll go back to that point. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Then Matthew 6, 14 and 15. It says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. Two quick, really quick points. Number one, forgiveness frees you. It it frees the other person up as well. But more than that, it frees you up. When you forgive someone, you have freedom. They no longer control your emotions. When you you hold on to bitterness, it's like drinking poison and hoping the other person's going to die. That doesn't work. But when you ask for forgiveness... When you, when, you, when you say, I forgive someone, it gives you freedom. You're no longer controlled by their behavior or what they have done. What they choose to do is their business. But you're now free. You're now free. When you forgive someone in the past who's done something to you, you're not letting it go and never forgetting and, you know, whatever. Because here's the reality. Here's my next point. There are some people that you have done such horrible things to you, you still need to forgive them for yourself. You need to be freed from their behavior. But you, you need to be free. There's a difference between forgiveness and trust. Okay? You can forgive someone in a moment, but you can't trust someone that way in a moment. If, you, if that person's not dangerous, you can rebuild the trust with that person, but it'll take some time. If the person is dangerous, and I'm saying this to you younger ones, you have, I'm not encouraging you, your pastor at all to walk back into a dangerous situation with someone. God says you have to forgive that person, but he doesn't say you have to be a dope and go back and get hurt again in a situation. I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about as adults here. You're, you're, you're no responsibility to go back into a harmful situation or put your kids in a harmful situation with someone who refuses to repent of their sin sin continues it you can forgive them so you're freed up but you don't have to put yourself in a dangerous environment because sometimes we say oh just forgive and forget and everybody's like that's just dopey i don't come to church anymore it doesn't make any sense god says forgive trust takes a little while dangerous people need boundaries set around them so they change their behavior or you don't have a relationship with them um and while we're on the subject of this forgiveness um it's also important that sometimes that you apologize and give a reason for your apology. Let me give you an example, a quick example here. Um, your, your, your kid, you said we have to be home at 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock, and your child comes in later than that, and you just lose it, okay? Now, it's probably not, the, the, the best response is probably not when you're, when you're asking forgiveness the next day, hey, sorry for last night. Sorry about last night. And it's like, well, Whatever. Maybe you sit down with your son and say, hey, son, let me, let me say something to you. I apologize for last night. Um, I exaggerated in some of the things I said because I was really upset. Um, we, we, we had a time that you were supposed to come in. You were an hour late. You have to understand, I'm sitting there with your mother thinking for an hour what could possibly be happening to you. You didn't answer your phone. We had no idea. All these things go through our heads. We're parents. That's the way we're designed to think of all the bad things that could be happening. And then you walk in with a smile on your face, and I lost it. You were like, hey, no big deal, you know, and I lost it. And I apologize for that. I apologize, but I want to explain to you. Sometimes the explanation helps build the relationship. So don't just say, um, oh, sorry about last night that I, I cursed at you or I screamed at you or I whatever, whatever. But explain why you were so frustrated Okay, and yes, yes, apologize. And I'm not making it saying make excuses for your behavior. I'm saying explain why 
you behaved the way that you did. I apologize, done. Now let me explain why that is so intense because you're helping a person understand what they're going through, what, what you were going through. You need to understand the intensity. Just for the students, you need to understand the intensity of the love that a parent has for their child. And don't get all goofy and say, well, really, please, understand something. And it's amazing to me that we don't understand this because generation after generation after generation, all parents do it to their children. They're so worried and concerned. But the, the, a parent that lo- intensely loves their child, that intensity is so overwhelming that we become sometimes irrational. Okay? Forgive us for that, all right? Just forgive us up front. We're asking forgiveness up front for the being irrational and saying irrational things sometimes. I mean, some father yells to, you know, he sees his son mowing the lawn and he's getting out and does something dope and he's like, if you cut your leg off, don't come running to me. You know what I mean? It's like, well, if I cut my leg off, I can't come running to you. But, but we, say, we say and do irrational things because of our intense love for you. So give each other a break, Okay. Give each other a break. And when someone asks for forgiveness, give them that forgiveness. The goal of any relationship is to build a deeper, more loving, trusting relationship and to use the things that we've learned in our lives to teach others, like the positives and the negatives, the ups and the downs. We use our failures and we use our positive decisions to teach other people. And when we can admit our failure in our relationships, in our lives, it has a a tremendous negative effect on every relationship we have and starting with like jen said earlier our relationship with god that's where it starts when we can't admit that we're wrong it affects our relationship with god first and spills over into all the other relationships as we close out here in second samuel i told you a story uh, of hanan earlier and how he couldn't admit he was wrong and the devastating consequences on his life well in second samuel chapter 24 and verse 10 david ran into the same problem he had a similar situation in his life only God can, can call to have a census taken, okay? And the reason being is because if, if, a, if a king calls for a census, he's basically, most of the time, he's looking at his army and he's, he's depending on his army for, for his protection and that's where he gets his pride. It's a prideful thing. Is, that's what David was doing when he called for a census. Only God can call for a census to be taken. David, though, is tempted by Satan, and he calls for a census to be taken of all the fighting men. So basically, it's a prideful thing. Look at all these armies that I have. I, and he put his, he's putting his dependence on them and not on God. And so it's pointed out to him, and when it is, David realizes what he's done wrong. And in 2 Samuel chapter 24 and verse 10, it says this, David was conscience-stricken after he had counted the fighting men. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now, Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. That's exactly what some of us need to do when we realize we have been wrong. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. I have done a very foolish thing. Please forgive me. That's what we need to do. We need to have the heart of David. Please forgive me for what I've done. No relationship can grow and survive if a person is not admitting when they're wrong and apologizing for what they do to the other person and brushing it off. It's like no big deal. 
It is a big deal. If you've harmed someone or wronged someone or done something wrong, you need to confess it before God and then you need to ask the other person to forgive you. You don't lose ground. Satan is going to lie to you every time you feel like you should apologize. He's going to come along and say, don't do that. Your, your wife's going to get the upper hand. Your kids aren't going to respect you. You're going to lose your authority. You're going to lose face. You don't lose anything but sinful pride. That's what you lose. Sinful pride. You say you're sorry, you go up in the eyes of your employees. You say you're sorry, you go up in the eyes of your children. You honestly apologize to your husband or wife, and you go up in the eyes of your husband or wife. If, that, if, you, if they want to have a strong relationship with you, that's what happens. It happens all the time. People who apologize are stronger than people who don't. People who don't don't know who they are, and they're afraid that they're going to lose something, when in reality, they only gain something. They gain the respect They gain their authority. They gain face with people because others want that as well. They want to follow that person. They want to be like that person. God told me in my prayer time the other day, you don't have to be perfect to build healthy relationships. You just need to be humble and you need to be honest. You don't have to be perfect. You don't even have to be consistent all the time to have healthy, strong relationships. You just need to be honest and you need to be humble. Wednesday night, we're going to come back here in this area, this room right out, right out here, and we're going to be talking about caring enough to confront. We're going to talk about caring enough to confront other people and how do you do that. Deb said it was a lost art. It is a lost art and it is destroying relationships. Caring enough to confront. And also we're going to talk about the five forgiveness languages. You would be absolutely amazed at how people receive forgiveness or when they ask for it. Like you, some people say, well, I already said I'm sorry. I said I was sorry. I said I was sorry. Conversation's over. Some people don't receive your apology that way. They don't receive your apology. It needs to be, I'm sorry, and, and let me explain, or I'm sorry, and explain why you feel like you were sorry. What did you do? That There's all kinds of love languages and all kinds of forgiveness languages, and sometimes we, we miss that in our relationships. On, on Wednesday night, we'll talk a little bit about that, how people receive those, you know, that, those apologies. It could change your, just that one time, just that one session that we have, could change your relationship with the people around you. As we close, here's what I want you to do. A little bit of homework. Here's what I want you to do. I want you, close your eyes with me, just for a second, and I want you to think of one person in your life that you've wronged. It doesn't even have to be that big. Maybe they asked you to do something, take out the garbage, or maybe they, you know, whatever the case may be, and you just, you know, you blew it off, you didn't care, you know. Someone that you've wronged, and I want you to pray about apologizing to them. It may take you just right now or it could take you a week. But I want you to pray about apologizing to them. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's someone at work. And here's something else. And I want you to let, I'll let the Holy Spirit speak to you. You don't have to have been all wrong to apologize. Just apologize for your part. You know, you said some things to me, and I said this back, and, and now I didn't need to say that. Regardless of how it, how it made me feel, I didn't need to say that. Apologize for your part. It will, it will often transform your relationship when someone just breaks the ice and says, I want to apologize for what I said in that conversation. 
It opens things up. It can restore broken relationships. People that you haven't talked to for years, just a small opening of an apology can sometimes transform a relationship. So I want you to think about that this week. And I want you to think of someone that you need to apologize to. I want you to say the words, I'm, I'm sorry. And then if you can, even say, do you forgive me? It's a powerful thing for the other person to have to say, yes, I forgive you. And hear those words. It strengthens the relationship. And Father, that's what we want. We want strong relationships. We want you to be with us, Lord God, over the next few weeks as we go through this series. We're going to talk about so many relationship issues. We're going to get really deep, Lord God, on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and talk about these things. I pray, Lord God, that relationships will be restored, that your Holy Spirit be working right now in marriages, in families, in friendships. And Lord God, that we can bring restoration to broken relationships and we can strengthen strong relationships, Lord God, to your glory. Help us. You're an expert on restoring. You're an expert on redeeming, Lord God. And that's what we're asking for, redemption in our relationships, transformation in our hearts and in the people around us, Lord God, that we can become all that you've created us to be, that we can be one in you so that we can accomplish all that you have for us in our church, in our families, in our communities, Lord God, around the world. So we pray with all of our hearts, humble us, help us to become the people that you've created us to be. Help us to become more like Jesus Christ in that humility so that we can truly, we can truly have deep, intimate, meaningful relationships in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Have a great, great, great afternoon.